0: When it comes to investing, retirement, and legacy planning, the decisions you make today can greatly impact the quality of life for both you and your loved ones tomorrow. Good news. You've found the Growing Your Wealth radio show with Brian Evans. Brian is the founder of Madrona Financial Services, and with his background as a CPA, he brings a unique perspective to the investment and financial planning world. So get ready for an hour full of the most comprehensive financial information on the radio. Welcome to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans.
1: Thank you so much, and welcome to Growing Your Wealth, a radio show that gives you the straight talk and honest answers you need to invest better, live better, retire better, and give better. My name is Jeff Shade, and as always, I'm just here to ask the questions. But the words of and solid advice come from Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial Services and Bauer Evans CPAs. Brian, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks, Jeff. Certainly glad to hear that, Brian. I hope our listeners are doing well today, too. We've got another great show lined up for our listeners today. But before we get to that, as always, want to remind our listeners that if you have missed any part of our program, you'd like to hear it all over again. We are a podcast. Simply go to wherever you get your podcast and search for Growing Your Wealth, Brian Evans. There are more than 100 shows on there right now. Almost any topic that you can think of, we have a show on that. So wherever you get your podcast, search for Growing Your wealth. Well, on today's show, Brian, we're going to be talking about insurance. We're also going to be talking about umbrella life insurance policies, life insurance versus retirement accounts. We're also going to throw in there how irrevocable living trust and revocable living trust differ. But I want to start off today with term life insurance versus permanent life insurance. And you know this is one of the basics of life insurance, I guess, 101. But explain, if you will, the basic difference between Permanent life insurance and term life insurance.
2: Yeah. When we think about life insurance, the first thing comes to mind is. Well, when I pass away, if I have life insurance, uh, my heirs get money. Okay, so that's the basic of life insurance. And that's not a something mysterious or anything like that. That's basically what it is. And that's called term life insurance. Term life insurance is where you pay a fee so that if you pass away during the term, that the period of time where that life insurance is active, then your heirs will get paid a certain amount of money. And so when I say term life insurance, the, the word term is really important because usually it's for a term of time. It's not like you know, if you're 30 years old and they say, all right, pay $100 a month and you'll get $300,000 if you pass away, whatever. And you, you go, okay, I'll just do that for the rest of my life. Well, that's not how they sell term life insurance. Term life insurance is sold for a period of time. So you might say, well, I want a 10-year policy, and that policy might be 50 bucks a month. I want a 20-year policy. Well, they might charge you $100 a month because now they've added another 10 years when you're 10 years older, and your chance of passing away starts going up the longer that term is, the longer that period of time is. And so it's priced accordingly, uh, you know, based upon your age and your health is how they price it. And it's pure, just pure life insurance, term life insurance often is used for families. So let's say that you've got small kids, and you go, well, gee, if something happens to me, my spouse and my kids will be suffering, so I better get a million dollar policy or whatever. And I need it for 20 years because my kids will be kind of dependent for say 20 years and so you might get a policy of that just to fund that kind of situation.
1: Okay, so that's term insurance. and as you said, if you have small dependents, something like that, you can get that insurance for a period of time. That's called the term 10, 15, 20 years. I mean, how do you determine basically the term that your life insurance policy should be for?
2: Yeah, so you'll look at uh, your your personal situation. That was an easy one uh, that I, I laid out there you know, when your kids are depending on you, you know that's probably an easier one. Sometimes it might be until you retire and you know you're, you know, if certainly as you're working, your family relies on the, the wages, your, your spouse, your, your children rely on your wages. And if you passed away during that time, they would need an influx of money to pay for things. But you might, like I say, run it until you, you retire knowing that, well, I won't be working in retirement anyway. So whether I'm here or not, nobody's depending on my earnings uh, so much. So maybe you wouldn't have life insurance at that point. And certainly when you're older, it's not as critical for most people to have life insurance. You know, some people, well, I need, you know, $20,000 for burial expenses. Okay, I get that. But but most people, they own certainly I work with, it. that's not an issue. So so it's 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 a facts and circumstances, but it's purely to cover, you know, if I'm not here anymore, to solve for a financial deficit that would occur if I'm not here anymore.
1: Okay, so I bought life insurance. Term life insurance, and the term has been 20 years. It's been great. The 20 years is up. And then what happens? Do I have any residual value with that policy?
2: No, you do not. And that's one of the negatives to term insurance. Uh, the biggest positive is you can get a whole bunch of term insurance for a relatively small outlay of money. And so that's the big positive. The big negative is that you might pay into that for 20 years and go, well, how much is my insurance policy worth now? And then nothing. Oh, well, now what do I do if I want insurance? Well, you, you reapply. Based on your application, and you're 20 years older. Now you take some meds, and you had a you know a health event. You may not even qualify for any life insurance anymore, and it's going to be way more expensive. You know, remember that 50 bucks you were paying when you're in your 30s. Well, now that you've had all this, it might be you know 600 a month, whatever it is. And so it ends, and there's nothing to show for it. So again, that's the negative of term insurance, and so that's why some people look into permanent insurance.
1: And if I'm hearing you correctly, Brian, the younger you are, the less. expensive the premiums are for this uh, term insurance, right?
2: Absolutely. The younger and the healthier, they have classes. So let's say uh, you apply for life insurance and they say, okay, you're 40 years old. And depending on now, they'll look at your, you know, they might, certainly for a permanent insurance policy, that's a high amount. They start looking at your medical records and, and do uh, some kind of physical kind of thing. And the more knocks you have against your, your health, essentially, in that the higher your rate, because they'll have, you know, they'll either rate you as a premium or, or an average or below average, you know, they have A, B, C, D, E, F, G, kind of all these different ratings and the, and the worse your health, the lower the rating to a point where they just say, no, we're not going to cover you.
1: So when you hear these radio commercials or TV commercials that say you could get a million dollars worth of life insurance for as little as $2 a day, they're mostly probably not talking about you and me, are they?
2: Well, they might be uh, $2 a day, you know, and, and you know, whatever the life insurance, they, they might say it on the commercial, well, we looked at your meds and so forth, and well, I just took an aspirin last year is all I did. Yeah, well, now your rate's, you know, $12 yeah. a day or whatever. You know, certainly if they're advertising on TV, it's like anything, if they're begging for your business, they might not be the best deal out there. You know, if you go to right. a seminar with one of the people that put those on that, that do financial shows or send you a right. postcard and they're begging you, begging you, begging you to, to do their product, it might not be the best product for you. <laughs> you know, you kind of got to use your judgment there. But, you know, they they're certainly when they quote a rate on TV, they're quoting it for somebody in perfect health. Right, right. And so, yeah, the younger, the better your health, the lower the rate, certainly.
1: Yeah, so if you're 30 years old, you're a non-smoker, you've never had a health event in your life and you have longevity and, you know, everything's exactly perfect, yeah, you could get that policy. But if you're 40 years old and, like you said, you've taken an aspirin, maybe a little blood pressure medication, that rate is going to be higher. So that's basically term insurance. It's good for people who do have dependents and it is certainly less expensive. Than the alternative. So let's talk about permanent life insurance. I've also heard the term whole life. Is permanent life insurance whole life insurance?
2: Well, whole life is a permanent life insurance policy. Uh, usually you've heard variable, universal life, fixed index, universal life. LERPs, life insurance, retirement plans, whatever, there's there's different kinds of permanent life insurance. Basically what it is, it's a term insurance policy with an additional investment. And it's much more expensive because you're buying two things. You're investing your money with the insurance company and you're paying for term insurance within that policy. And so, as you age, the term insurance portion of that goes up, but you have an investment that you hope is also going up if it's invested properly within that life insurance policy. Now, some of the the positives to this, you know, I just said it's more expensive; it costs it more of an outlay. But the positives are that you have you you know you should have something forever for your heirs. That's why permanent. You know, obviously, the word permanent comes from that. And so you're leaving something behind. You're leaving something that's tax-free. You're leaving cash upon your passing, or you're providing for tax-free cash flow during your own retirement. So using, I mentioned the the word LERP, life insurance retirement plan, where you would have a policy that builds up enough cash value during your lifetime that you start borrowing against your future death proceeds during your lifetime as a a retirement check to yourself that's income tax-free that will be paid back upon your passing with the life insurance proceeds that are also income tax-free. You might use it as an estate planning gifting tool. You can use it to fund uh, generational wealth outside of your estate in a trust. There's a lot of things you can do with permanent life insurance. And certainly I had a situation come up where somebody came in and they had this massive term insurance policy for most of their life, well, for at least, you know, 20, 25 years. Mm -hmm. And now they were in, their early 50s. And they were like, well, I, I need to replace this policy. But gosh, you know, I've paid $400,000 into this policy and I get nothing for it. And I said, that's right. And so we looked into premium finance, fixed index, universal life. That was a little bit more than that, but it was going to be, you know, we projected it would fund a ton of money for this person in retirement, income tax free and have a death benefit greater than his, uh, the amount he put in and so forth and so on in this situation. So, Permanent insurance is, is actually a solution to a financial planning thing, whereas term insurance is just to solve for something during a period of time.
1: So, permanent life insurance, that is a broad term, and whole life is just one form of permanent life insurance. If I'm going along, let's say that I have a 20 year policy, it's a term policy, and maybe seven years into that, I say, you know, I don't want to continue to do this. Is it possible that you can convert your term insurance to a permanent life insurance policy?
2: It might be. Uh, very often it's not because it's, you're just buying strictly, you know, Here's your policy. Here's your payment that you're going to do that. You know, there's so many variations of this. It's hard to cover all the variations. One way of looking at a permanent life insurance policy is it's kind of like a a super Roth. And when I say super Roth, all I mean is that Roths have contribution limitations. And one of the great things about Roths, you put the money in, it's not deductible when you put it in. when you take it out, it's income tax-free. Well, same thing with life insurance, a couple of those attributes, when you pay for it, it's not deductible when you put money in. But when you take it out, you know, when you borrow against your future death proceeds, that can be uh, income tax-free. But unlike a Roth, there's really no limitations to how much you can put in to
1: a permanent life insurance policy. Is there ever a circumstance that you can think of where you may want to buy both whole life and term life policies? Absolutely. And so
2: um, I'm a case in point. I have both right now. I still have dependents and so I have a term insurance policy to to, something happen to me, a huge payout happens. I also have permanent life insurance, which was my own retirement planning. That's for me to borrow against in my retirement years, assuming I make it there and have a good long life. Well, then I would have that income. If I don't, it would pay out. But the payout's not nearly as much because I'm I'm not looking for the permanent insurance policy to pay this massive amount. I'm looking for it to provide cash buildup so that I can borrow against it and create tax-free cash flow in my own retirement. And so when you fund either policy, you either put the, the money to juice up the, the death benefit or juice up the cash value. You don't do both typically. And, and so it depends on the objective of the policy. And I have two
1: different competing objectives. So I have two different plans. Well, there are a lot of things to consider when deciding between term versus whole life insurance. Talk to your insurance agent about your current lifestyle, your plans for the future, and what you want your policy to cover to help you find the right plan for you. You're listening to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans. We've been talking about permanent life insurance versus term life insurance. Once again, if you have $500,000 or more, you would like to uh, invest and you're looking to maybe hire a new financial advisor, or maybe you want to look the plan that you've already got for a complimentary financial review, call 844-MADRONA. That's 844-M-A-D-R-O-N-A. You can also get your review by going to the website and requesting it at madronafinancial.com. We'll be right back with more of Growing Your Wealth right after this.
0: Stay with us. Tired of getting only half the story? We've got you covered with the most comprehensive financial information on the radio. You're listening to Growing Your Wealth with your host, Brian Evans. Now, here's Brian. Welcome back to the show. I'm
2: Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial Services and Bauer Evans CPAs. And this segment, we're going to be
1: talking about the importance of an umbrella insurance policy. And Brian, I'm somewhat familiar with umbrella policies. There's one of the major insurance companies that uses an umbrella as its logo. So let's start off with what is an umbrella insurance policy? Yeah, you know, you can have
2: insurance for many, many different things, but when you read the policy and you go, wow, I bought insurance, let's say homeowner's insurance, Mm -hmm. and it must cover anything that happens in my house. So why in the world is my insurance policy 86 pages long uh-huh. with all these explanations of what it covers, what it doesn't cover? I'll bet whatever happens to me is probably going to be, oh, except for whatever happened to me right. on page 52 at the bottom in the small print. You know, So you have to be careful with any insurance policy because if, if it covered everything, it could, they could probably do it on two pages. <laughs> but they, right. uh, there's a reason why these are 86 pages long. It doesn't cover everything. And so you can get insured up to the hilt on everything you have, your car, your boat, your your house, and and all this different stuff. Uh, Now, I'm talking property insurance, not health insurance. That's a whole different animal there, but property-type things. And uh, you can have insurance for liability or whatever like that, but it may not cover. Or you have what's covered, and you go, well, I've got a half a million dollars worth of liability coverage but my daughter she just got her license last week and she got in a 10 car pileup mm. and we're got 10 lawsuits and each lawsuit's you know $400,000 that's 4 million my little half million dollar policy is not going to cover that so you might not have adequate coverage even if you're covered by something or again you may have inadequate coverage what an umbrella insurance policy does is it's intended to fill the gaps It's supposed to cover you for the thing that wasn't included in your original policy or a liability amount that's much, much higher than whatever your liability amount is in your regular coverage. So it's the umbrella of that. It it kind of uh, protects you against a myriad of different possible scenarios.
1: And there are a lot of scenarios, too, that people don't realize. I mean, I didn't know that my homeowner's insurance policy doesn't cover me in case, you know, my dog gets out and goes next door and, and bites someone.
2: Well, I actually had that situation. I had rental houses, and uh, someone moved in. They had some little doggy uh, that they could carry around, a little cute little thing, wouldn't hurt a fly. And that dog evidently passed away, and they they got a different dog instead, uh, you know, a pit bull, of course, or something like that. And they didn't tell me, and not that I know that I could have done anything about it. You know, landlord- Can't tell a tenant what kind of dog they can have or not have, and so uh, that dog jumped the fence and bit someone. Mm -hmm. So I called my insurance company. and Insurance company said, "Oh yeah, uh, we don't cover that." I'm like, "Show me where it says that," and because I even looked in the policy, and it actually covered that. And they said, "Oh well, it's it's not it's covered. Dogs are covered except for two dogs." And I said, "Where does it say that in my policy?" Well, it doesn't say it in your policy. It says it in the master policy and. And so I'm just like, oh, my gosh. They didn't want to pay for it. And so luckily, I had an umbrella insurance policy. I I did win that argument, by the way, because, you know, it's like, well, you can't enforce that. And I I knew to do that. But what if you didn't? Or what if it wasn't covered? What if it did say? oh my gosh, they did pick two kinds of dogs to exclude from my policy. Mm-hmm. And my tenant went out and got one of those kinds of dogs, unbeknownst to me, and it bit someone. Now I'm liable. And so that in- umbrella insurance policy would have kicked in. And I reminded the insurance company, well, my umbrella insurance policy is with you too. So if you don't want to pay the policy on this end, you're going to pay it on that end. So, mm-hmm. oh yeah, yeah, you're right. And <laughs> so they, they worked it out. So And that that might be a little, little suggestion too. When you get your in- umbrella insurance policy, make sure it's under the insurance company that you have all your other insurance policies through, because one way or the other, they're going to have to pay for it that way. But that's a real life
1: example of where an umbrella insurance policy
2: might uh, be a
1: necessity. I didn't realize uh, also that if you're on a board of directors, something as benign as that of a charity and, you know, you could be sued for a board related issue that a umbrella policy could
2: cover you for that as well. Yeah, they can cover you for non-property damage kinds of things, and libel, slander, false imprisonment, mm. uh, you know, if that ever happened. There's all kinds of situations. You know, I, I, I mentioned the one that happens to me, but let's say that, and often it's, it's not even anything you did. You got kids, guess what? You're libel. So right. one of them gets into a fight in school and hits someone, and, and there's some catastrophic things that come out of that, or you're just sued. Anybody can sue anybody. We have a very litigious society. There's a lot of people out there just looking to get them over the financial hump by having a, a bad day and, and suing you for a million dollars because you know I tripped on your sidewalk that mm-hmm. you know I had a piece of concrete sticking up a little bit and I hurt my knee, so I, you know I got to sue you. you know, I'm just making this up. But, you know, I got to sue right. you for a million dollars. Maybe they did get hurt or something. And you know, the, the amounts that can be awarded are just astounding. And you look at your policy and you go, you know, when I signed up for this policy, it seemed like $200,000 of coverage was a lot. Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem like a whole lot anymore now that I'm being sued for a million dollars that I don't have, you know, and they're going to take everything I have well, think again, get that umbrella insurance policy. You know, I, Jeff, an interesting thing, when I, I look at these different topics and we talk about them, mm-hmm. one of the things I do is I, I always want to say what it is, who it's for, who it applies to, and this, in this case, I think everybody, right. potentially. What are the detriments and what are the advantages of following through on this? And under detriments, I really struggle. I couldn't right. think of why someone would say, no, having an umbrella insurance policy mm-hmm. is stupid. The only detriment is it—it's not free. Right, it costs something. But it, you would be amazed at how inexpensive these policies can be. I'm blown away. They're in the often in the hundreds of dollars a year for seven figures coverage. And so, with that in mind, you know what's it worth to not have everything you have at risk because some sue happy attorney. Goes to town and some judge decides, you know, oh, you you poor thing, you know, whoever got damaged by something uh, related to you or somebody in your family or whatever. And they just award these massive sums and your life, your financial life is just devastated because you didn't think uh, spending $500 a year to protect everything was worth it. But I got to tell you, you might want to think, you know, if you have nothing to protect, fine. If you don't have any assets, fine. But you're probably not listening to growing your wealth if that's the case. So I'm going to guess 99.9% of the people listening right now have something to protect and they're gonna want to get that umbrella insurance policy.
1: Yeah, I was looking at some rates here, and on average, $383 per year for $1 million worth of umbrella coverage, and of course, your rates may vary, and it varies according to the insurance company, but that's just an example. How much umbrella insurance coverage do I really need, though? How do I make that determination?
2: Yeah, well, I sure wouldn't stop at a million bucks. That sounds like a big number, too. But certainly, uh, you look at the value of your assets. Now, if your assets are uh, $100,000, you probably don't need $5 million of umbrella insurance coverage. But, you know, you might look at your future income as a component there. If you're going to make millions of dollars in your lifetime, you might want millions of dollars worth of coverage there. Certainly, just getting a sense of how big lawsuits can be. I think it's very regular that, you know, somebody gets an offender bender and they'll sue somebody for a half million to a million dollars right there. What if there was three cars involved? And so now you might start looking at getting, oh, yeah, you're right. So you might want to say, okay, maybe not one million or two million or maybe five million that kind of thing. And so you might want to start thinking about a much bigger number than you might have previously thought. Now again, they're not free, but with that number you just said, what if it's 400 bucks a year for a right, million, you right. got okay, maybe $2,000 a year to protect everything you have. Mm-hmm. Well, you might decide that's a pretty good investment in protection. You buy insurance for everything else. This one can cover enormous sums of money. So again, I think it's uh, relatively inexpensive for what you can
1: get. So as I said, $383 for about a million dollars worth of umbrella insurance, very well worth it. How do we buy umbrella insurance? I think you said that most insurers do offer that sort of thing.
2: Yeah, most insurers do. And I'm glad you you asked that because when, when I originally got my insurance, you know, they, they said, well, you have to have adequate insurance in everything you own. I'm like, okay. And they would say what adequate insurance was. You know, your your auto insurance had to be certain minimums for uninsured motorists or for liability or all these different things. Your homeowners had to cover certain things. I actually had to go through my list of insurance and start beefing up a couple of them because they were below their minimums and they wouldn't give me the umbrella policy until all my insurances across the board were at a certain standard. At that point, then I was able to do that, uh, get the umbrella insurance policy. And it was a really great review of what I did have because I was underinsured in certain areas that I didn't realize going through the exercise of the umbrella insurance policy made it all worthwhile.
1: Well, I can think of one reason why you may not need Umbrella Life Insurance policy, Brian. That's because you have absolutely nothing. You're dead broke. You've got no assets. There's nothing to get. Absolutely.
2: Uh, (laughs) And that's, again, I'm assuming that you're listening to Growing Your Wealth for a reason. You have some wealth to grow. So (laughs) there you have it. That's why we're talking about Umbrella Insurance.
1: And once again, if you have $500,000 or more to invest, you're looking for a complimentary financial review of your plan, call 844-MADRONA, 844-MADRONA. And as always, you can check out the firm and request your complimentary review at madronafinancial.com. You're
0: listening to Growing Your
1: Wealth. We'll be right back with more after this.
0: You can't build a house with just one tool, and you can't plan for retirement without an integrated, comprehensive strategy. If you want to get more information on the Madrona bundle of services, call Madrona Financial Services at 844-MADRONA, or go to madronafinancial.com. Now, back to more of Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans. Welcome back to the show. I'm Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial Services and Bauer
2: Evans CPAs. And in this segment, we're going to be talking about the difference between funding permanent life insurance versus funding retirement accounts.
1: And Brian, in a previous segment, we did talk about permanent life insurance and the fact that it does have an investment potential. But it isn't an entire retirement account. So let's first off start with the question, life insurance for retirement savings, what is the difference?
2: Yeah, you know, when we talk about investments on this show, we we break it down into five big categories. One category is bonds. That's the biggest one. Another is the stock market. A third is real estate. A fourth is insurance company products. And a fifth is cash and cash equivalents. So when we usually think about retirement accounts, we think about, okay, our 401ks, what are they invested in? Well, they can be in bonds, they can be in cash, in cash equivalents and stock market, and they can be in real estate. Now, when we think about life insurance as an investment, not term insurance, we're talking about permanent insurance here, life insurance can be an investment for your retirement also. So there's two ways you can put money away for your retirement, a couple of ways they include. One includes retirement accounts like Roth IRAs or 401Ks or regular IRAs, and the other would be permanent life insurance. The difference between them is typically that, again, your retirement accounts are probably invested in the stock and bond market primarily. And your life insurance is invested with the life insurance company. They have floors to your investments and and sometimes ceilings to your uh, returns on the upside. There's a life insurance cost. But one of the main differences between the two is that funding life insurance in your retirement, you can pull that out potentially income tax free in your retirement account years, whereas 401k, you can't unless it's in a Roth. So there are some crossovers here. So it's not either or. I'm not saying, gee, you should either fund a life insurance policy for your retirement or you should do a stock market 401k, you know, that kind of thing for your your retirement. I kind of like having both. I right, like right. having all these things. I would love to have a stock portfolio. I would like to have some tax-deferred stock portfolio in an IRA or 401k. I'd like some in a Roth 401k. I'd like some permanent life insurance I can pull on tax-free in my retirement. I want some real estate in my portfolio. I want all of the above. And so we're just talking about thinking outside the box. And there's some specific examples I want to get into about when it really would would kick in, for instance, somebody that's hitting their uh, retirement contribution maximums.
1: And you pointed out something I think that's really important that certainly piqued my interest, and that is the tax treatment. As you said, permanent life insurance, you can get the proceeds tax-free, but with retirement accounts, you do have to pay taxes on those. So would the tax treatment be a reason to fund one more than the other?
2: Uh, it certainly can be. And so let's say somebody's young. If I go back to when I started public accounting and you know, I've said this on the show before, the Dow wasn't, I don't even think the Dow was, well, I know it wasn't, it wasn't 2000 yet. It was 1000 something. And now it's you know in the mid thirties or whatever it is. And so when I put money into a, a 401k, I took a little tax deduction. I, I was at a very low income tax bracket back then. I wasn't making a lot of money. And when I pay it back, boy, uh, that that money grew a lot. And all that growth is going to be taxed at my highest marginal rate in my retirement, which I project to be pretty high. Mm -hmm. And boy, I'm going to pay a lot of tax. I wish they had Roth accounts back then, Roth 401ks. I could have put it into a Roth and had that grow my entire life and taken it out income tax-free instead of paying 10, 20 times what I put in, paying the tax on that. And so Taxation can be a big consideration here and that's why you know with permanent life insurance where we got tax advantages both the life insurance proceeds someday will be income tax-free and if you borrow against your future death proceeds while you're living that's income tax-free too so it can be a huge consideration.
1: Are there annual limits to how much money that can be deposited into a permanent life insurance policy versus a retirement account? Yes, there is. And here's where I wanted
2: to do an example. I love examples. They, they kind of set things out. Let's say that you've got somebody, uh, we'll call him Carlos, and he works at Microsoft. Mm-hmm. And he earns hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. And he wants to put money away for his retirement. And he's relatively young. And so he, he heard the show and he goes, you know what, I'm going to max out my retirement. How much can I put away at Microsoft? And they tell him 20 grand. Okay, Uh, I listened to Brian and he said put it into a Roth because I'm really young and it could grow a lot during my lifetime. But gee, I maxed out at 20 grand. I don't think that's gonna be enough Mm -hmm. for me to put away. You know, I wanna put away more. Can't I put away more? Well, no, 401k rules say how much you can put away. And that's it. Oh, that's all I can put in. I've had people come to me, literally say, we could not save for retirement. I said, why not? They said, well, because we were maxed. We were maxed at, you know, back then, you know, maybe six thousand, ten thousand, twelve thousand. That's all we could put away. Like, well, that's all you could put away into a tax deferred investment. You could have put just regular money away, or or done other things like a life insurance policy. Oh, we didn't think about that. So here they were getting ready to retire. They had a couple hundred thousand dollars for the rest of their life and I had to give them the bad news. You can't retire because they didn't put the extra away. And that could be Carlos here. He's saying, well, I can only put away 20 grand. That's all they let me put away into the company plan. That's it. Well, Carlos, I got some news for you. You do not have to be limited to that. You can set up a non-qualified account if you want to invest in the market and just put additional money into an account that you have access to. Or you can put unlimited funds into, essentially, depending on your, your income and how much you can afford, but you can put virtually unlimited funds into a life insurance policy put away for your retirement plan, where you would pull out cash flow in your retirement. There aren't any limitations. There is no 20,000 maximum or 6,000 maximum annual limitations on life insurance policy. You can have an overfunded policy, they call it. And uh, the IRS does not limit how much you can put away like they do limit how much you can put away into a Roth or a 401k.
1: We're talking with Brian Evans about funding permanent life insurance versus investment accounts. Brian, what are some of the reasons that someone would not want to do something like this? Uh, one of the
2: detriments to saying, you know, let's say uh, Carlos in this example, he said, all right, I'm putting $20,000 into the stock market in my Roth 401k, and I'm going to put an additional 30000 into a leveraged life insurance policy in the future. But then I find out Carlos doesn't have good health, and mm-hmm. he's got all kinds of problems and so forth. Probably not, you know, he's not going to get approved or the life insurance component is going to be very expensive because you've got to go through a physical and the life insurance company is going to go, ah, you're high risk. And instead of having a a low underlying life insurance component to that, it's going to be very expensive. So you do have to qualify for life insurance. And so, you know, maybe in this example, I'm using somebody that's young, but but let's say you're you're listening. You go, yeah, I'm 55. I want to do that life insurance thing you may not have enough time to make it really work out for you. And maybe you do. Uh, If you're 65, probably not. So if you're getting too old or your health is not great, you probably aren't going to qualify for life insurance or it's going to be too expensive to make the numbers work. So it's a case-by-case basis as to whether the permanent life insurance policy is a good idea. But I can tell you, the younger you are and the more you make, the easier it's going to be to make permanent life insurance part of your retirement plan so that you have access to cash flow in your retirement income tax-free no matter what the future income tax rates are.
1: Brian, some people listening to this may be thinking about the liquidity of Uh, either of these permanent life insurance versus retirement accounts. Uh, Can you comment on on that, which is more liquid?
2: Yeah, I would say the retirement accounts are more liquid. However, in both cases, these are long-term investments for your later part in life. Uh, Generally, retirement accounts, you can't really access without penalty until you're age 59 and a half. And and with life insurance, it's not like, oh, I'm going to invest in three years and start pulling money out. It doesn't work that way. You gotta have a long time to invest in life insurance for them for the numbers to work out. When I say long time, I might be talking fifteen years or you know, at least on that. So this isn't something that, you know, I think I'm I'm seventy years old, I'm gonna start a life insurance policy. You no, know, that's probably not a good idea if you're going to put money away, you may not, you know, you got to be working to put it into retirement accounts. So you might start with that and determine whether life insurance makes sense. So again, it's facts and circumstances, but certainly the younger you are listening to this, and maybe you're listening and go, well, it's not great for me, but maybe my kids need to hear some of this. And and they might consider doubling up because I can tell you that in our example, the the fellow working at Microsoft here is going to really appreciate later in life that instead of just twenty grand a year, he, in my example, he put another thirty into a leveraged permanent life insurance policy a year, so he's putting fifty thousand a year away into a couple different buckets. That when he does hit retirement someday, way down the road, decades from now, he's going to look back and go, "Boy, that was sure wise," because now I I got options, I got choices, I got tons of build up in both of these accounts, and so I. I get to choose my freedom, whether I keep working or not, you'll know, you get a lot more flexibility for your retirement planning.
1: And once again, I would imagine that this is not a case of either or permanent life insurance versus retirement accounts. It's good to have them both.
2: Yeah, I would say the, the bedrock is the retirement account. And then if you say in this example, again, if you say, well, I have additional money I want to put away for my retirement, that can be a good place. And, and real estate's a good place, too. You know, there's there's a lot of different places to put money in. And certainly if you're talking to a financial person, they're pushing you into one product. Beware, because that's probably all they sell. And it may or may not be appropriate for you. But you'll never know from them if that's all they sell, <laughs> because mm-hmm. yeah, you know, they're a hammer and you're a nail. And so make sure that you know there's somebody that says I like real estate in the right example you know, situation. I like the stock market in the right situation. I like annuities in the right situation. I like life insurance in like right situation. I don't like any of those in the wrong situation. And so that they have access to everything and they're they're agnostic as to where you put your money. I think it's a very critical thing when when determining what financial advisor you want to work with. Make sure they're agnostic as to where you put your money that they're just trying to solve for the best solution for you and you alone not solve for the best situation for themselves.
1: We've been talking about funding permanent life insurance versus retirement accounts with Brian Evans of Madrona Financial Services and Bauer Evans CPAs. Once again, we are a podcast search for this particular show here in the very near future, along with all the other 100 plus shows that we have posted there on all sorts of different topics. Once again, if you would like a complimentary retirement review or a financial review with the advisors here at Madrona Financial. Call 844-MADRONA to get your complimentary review. 844-MADRONA. You can also request it online at madronafinancial.com. You're listening to Growing Your Wealth. We'll be right back with more of our show after this.
0: Do you ever worry if your CPA and financial advisor are on the same page? You won't have to if you call Madrona Financial Services at 844-MADRONA or visit them at madronafinancial.com. Now, back to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans.
2: Welcome back to the show. I'm Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial Services and Bauer Evans CPAs. In this segment, we're going to be talking about the differences between revocable trusts and irrevocable
1: trusts. And Brian, that is something that we've touched on in past shows, revocable trust versus irrevocable trust. So in this segment, let's start with the basics. I think I know the obvious difference, but I'm going to have you give us a little bit of an overview on both of those.
2: Yeah, no, certainly it's the obvious one as well. One, I believe you can revoke and one you can't. Okay, <laughs> we'll start with that. But revocable living trusts are a different kind of trust. Revocable living trusts think of more like a will. It's really akin to a will, whereas irrevocable trusts are not a will. They're, they're not akin to a will. So there's there's a first differentiation. So when you're doing your estate planning, certainly people that are looking for us to do a financial plan for them, I'd say on average, 50%, check the box, do you have a a current will or living trust? And 50% say, no, I do not. So half of you listening, focus in on this because it's really important for you to have a, a will or a revocable living trust. Two similar instruments that do things differently, but they're both to make sure that you've got things taken care of upon your passing. And so one of the primary reasons though is not who you leave your money to. The primary reason to a will or revocable living trust is to make sure your health care directives and your power of attorneys are in place because if you get in an accident and decisions need to be made, you want your spouse or loved ones or whoever to make those decisions. And if you don't have those documents, Minutes, they don't get to. So make sure you get these. Secondarily, you know, we could get into the difference between a will or revocable living trust. Uh, we, we've done a show uh, with uh, Paul Grant, a state attorney, where we talked on some of those things. Uh, definitely look that show up or listen to his show. He's got his own show. Right. But there's a lot of good things about each. You, you want at least a will, okay? And certainly as, as your estate is a little bit more complex, uh, very often a revocable living trust is a better choice for a lot of people as for their legacy planning. Now, we can jump over now into irrevocable trust. That is more protection of assets. That's about assets. It's not about healthcare directives, it's not about durable power of attorneys and so forth. That's about the protection of assets. When I say protection of assets, I, you might think, "Oh, are you talking about insurance?" No. Uh, I'm talking about I am talking about protection from lawsuits certainly. But I'm also talking about protection from income taxes, estate taxes. I'm talking about uh, protecting assets from people, people that let's say you want to leave money to your kids. And you go, well, when I die, they'll get a bunch of money and they'll be fine. Well, what if they get the money and they're married to a spouse who's waiting for you to die? The money comes over. They get a divorce. They get all the money, you know. No. Yeah, that's right. Well, what if you leave it to a kid that doesn't know how to manage money? What if you leave it to a kid that has a propensity to, to like drugs or uh, alcohol or, or does some bad things? There is a million situations I could go into where you need asset protection that can be provided by an irrevocable trust.
1: And Brian, I've heard that irrevocable trust may be good for people whose jobs may make them at higher risk of a lawsuit. And I'm thinking of doctors and things like that. Can an irrevocable trust protect you against predators and creditors?
2: Yeah, yeah, it certainly can. And so you can have money. uh, Now, one of the problems, though, with uh, irrevocable trust, because nothing's perfect in this world of finance, is that once you put money into an irrevocable trust, you don't have access to that money anymore. You don't control it. Uh, It's not irrevocable unless you've given it away. So if you put money in, let's say you want to provide for your heirs while you're living, uh, you want to put money into a trust for them to avoid state of Washington estate tax, maybe federal estate tax, maybe it's a life insurance, you want to avoid income tax on top of that. You want to gift money out of your estate to take advantage of the gift rules to reduce your estate and reduce those taxes. These are all wonderful things where irrevocable trusts can be used for. But you can't just fund them for 10 years ago. You know, I kind of want that money back. I think I'll just take it back. Well, it's not yours anymore. That's the term irrevocable. You can't revoke that. You gave it away. You put it into a trust for a specific purpose. And so if you're thinking about, well, I'll just put it into a trust and protect it from creditors, but I'll still access it. That is not how it works. So if you want to protect yourself from creditors, as a doctor, say, you're going to want to get malpractice insurance. You're going to want to get an umbrella insurance policy. You're going to want to have adequate insurances. You're, you're going to have you know, want to have all that stuff for protection. But if you want to uh, protect money against Uncle Sam or against decisions that people might make or divorces or whatever may happen in the future, that's where you might be talking about an irrevocable trust.
1: Brian, should I place my home, my principal residence in an irrevocable trust? Are there advantages or disadvantages to that?
2: Oh, you know I can't answer that, Jeff, because I don't know who I'm listening to on the other yeah, end of this. I <laughs> wanted to point that out. Yes. Yeah, it all depends. It all depends. That's that's the thing mm. we always say on this show because it does. There are situations absolutely where you'd want to put your principal residence into a trust, and there are situations where you absolutely would not. And so, this is one of those areas where you know it takes a village. Right. Uh, we talk about a lot of stuff on this show. We talk about stock markets and passive real estate and annuity products and so forth. Life insurance as a, as an asset. We talk about financial planning and trusts and estate planning, legacy, charitable gifting, Delaware statutory Trust, the 1031 exchanges, all kinds of tax planning opportunities. But we can't do everything. We cannot do your estate plan by ourselves because we are not estate attorneys. You need an estate attorney to do that. Working with your financial advisor and or your CPA to create the team that can do all this. You might need a real estate agent. You might need a bank. You might need a business broker. You need a, a team to get things right. Even with uh, premium financed uh, life insurance, I consult with a firm outside of our own, and we, we partner up on these. Because they're very complicated. So, it's important to have that team. Now, certainly in my line of work, being a registered investment advisory representative and a CPA, and our firms being able to offer many different things, we can assist in the process of. All kinds of financial planning opportunities. But very often, we're going to need to bring someone else in. And this would be one of those areas. When we're talking about tr- setting up trust, you need a trustee. You need a, a trust company. You need an attorney. You need uh, good advisors on your side.
1: And that last question, Brian, I think that's what we call a rhetorical question, one that we know the answer to, but it's still good to put it out there because I think some people may have been thinking of that as you were talking about that. We're talking with Brian Evans of Adrona Financial Services and Bauer Evans CPAs about how irrevocable living trusts differ from revocable living trusts. Brian, what are some of the main parties involved in an irrevocable trust?
2: Well, yeah, you've got your, your grantor, whoever uh, sets up the trust. You've got the trustee. That's the person that makes decisions relative to that. It could be you, but uh, often it's somebody else because often these trusts are set up, let's say, upon my passing. Like in my own revocable living trust, if I passed away, money's being put into a trust for a beneficiary and beneficiary might be my children it doesn't just go to them and so the trustee i'm no longer around i'm not able to be the trustee and so the trustee will make decisions on behalf of my children because they're the beneficiaries and so i'm the grantor but we have you know now we have three different things here so you got to be thinking about well who's going to be the trustee if i pass away that's a tough one and we we've done a, a whole radio segment on just selection of trustees and all the all that can go into that because some people don't have somebody. Well, maybe it's going to be my spouse or my older brother. Well, if your older brother's ninety, he's got dementia. That's not a good choice for a trustee. You know, so sometimes you got to think about that. You can get a corporate trustee. Uh, A corporation that'll be around to make uh, those kinds of decisions, but uh, these are some of the parties that are involved in every trust. You got somebody sets it up, somebody that would make decisions, and somebody that'll be the beneficiary. You can have split. You know, you might have a trust set up upon your passing, uh, marital exemption trust to get out of estate taxes. And so you leave the money for your spouse, but you're leaving them the income. And upon their passing, the principal goes to other beneficiaries. So you can have an income beneficiary and a principal beneficiary. So again, we could can, we can do this for days talking about this, this topic. <laughs> I don't have time for that, yeah. but certainly I just want to touch on it briefly as we talk about revocable versus irrevocable trusts.
1: Brian, what are some of the main downsides of revocable and irrevocable living trusts?
2: Well, yeah, you might be listening to me today going, oh, my gosh, that sounds complicated. Well, it kind of is. <laughs> it can be complicated. So it can be expensive to draw up and it can be complex. It could be uh, difficult or impossible to undo. Uh, I just said irrevocable. That word means something. (laughs) It means don't change your mind later because it's going to be virtually impossible to change your mind. So you need to have clarity of thought. You have to have clarity of a plan because uh, you don't want to do this lightly. That's why you need the estate attorney involved in this. So you can, you can have that. I am clear that I do not want to leave my money to my boys, my young, my younger, you know, young men. I don't want to leave them a lot of money just, you know, if something happened to me. I'm very clear on that. I'm very clear that I want them to have a house. I want their education to be paid for and and expenses, and they could have that income for those purposes. I'm very clear I don't want to give them a very big principal thing right away because, you know, anybody 20 years old, they probably don't know what to do with a lot of money. And so I'm very clear as to my objectives, and they're they're worded in my revocable living trust as such. That can change because it's revocable, uh, revocable living. Tr- I can change those those wishes as time goes by. Let's say they both graduate college, they are doing great, you know, and, and they're very stable. Okay, maybe I leave them principal. Or maybe I leave a principal to them with their grand, with my grandchildren as the principal beneficiaries, but my children as income beneficiaries. I can be very clear, but that clarity can change during my lifetime if I have a revocable living trust that will set up irrevocable trust upon my passing. But while I'm living, I can continue to change my wishes in a revocable living trust.
1: Okay, so I want a revocable or an irrevocable living trust. Brian, who do I go to to set these up?
2: Uh, An estate attorney is who you'd go to. Uh, We had Paul Grant on the show recently. There's a lot of uh, good estate attorneys out there. You can be a good estate attorney, though, and have kind of a less than desirable plan if you don't involve a proper, you know, with the CPA maybe, and certainly with a financial advisor. Often financial advisors can offer the products to make this this really sing. Uh, It might be funding a premium finance fixed index universal life within an irrevocable life insurance trust using gifting strategies. Okay, that's something in a state of training may not be aware of as, as a funding mechanism that your the financial advisor would, in in our case, you know, Madrona Financial, and certainly with Bauer Evans CPAs there too. So we, we can help create the, a great team, I think, you know, obviously mm-hmm. for, I would think, I would say that I believe in that, that we would create a great team. But somebody less experienced with that, you know, product side or an advisor that's maybe just, you know, selling annuities or something or stocks, They may not have the estate planning experience and trust planning experience or access to a trust company that a company like ours could provide.
1: We've been talking about irrevocable versus revocable living trust with Brian Evans of Madrona Financial Services and Bauer Evans CPAs. And of course, trusts can be an important part of your financial plan. If you have $500,000 or more to invest and you're looking for someone to review your current financial plan or you do not have a financial plan, call 844-MADRONA to get your review. That's 844-MADRONA. And we invite you to go to the website and vet the firm at madronafinancial.com. Out of time for this week, Brian, thank you so much for your time. I wanna thank our listeners for joining us as well too. For Brian Evans, I'm Jeff Shade. Get out, have a great day in this great part of the country that we live in. We'll talk to you again next week with another edition of Growing Your Wealth.
0: asset allocation or diversification guarantees a profit or guarantees the avoidance of loss. Financial planning is an important tool that does not guarantee specific outcomes.